three, two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mr. Brightside. I'm Matthew Bolton. This is the second release since our new temporary bi-weekly schedule, and I say again that if you feel you're missing something in the off week, I refer you to the backlog of episodes where you might find something you've missed or perhaps think you could now do with a re-listen. In any case, let me tell you that today's show is going to be a multiple re-listen for me personally, as I found so much of it relevant to my life, and I can imagine to anyone's. It's an interview with guest David Vexler, a living example of the philosophy he preaches. You can see that it's called 10 Principles of Personal Finance, as per the impressive article of his that drew me to invite him on, but it's not traditional advice. He explains in the interview that he wanted to write his article as a contrast to personal finance perspectives that focus on savings and investment. They are important details, he says, but philosophy is much more important. The details follow from the philosophy. So most of his list is not about how to save money or how to invest, but high-level things. But that doesn't mean that we don't get any of those details out of him. Along the way in our conversation, he offers so much valuable advice in this regard. And while philosophy can sound like an intimidating and irrelevant field to people, David's principles are supremely relevant, practical, and easy to understand, especially after he elaborates and gives examples in the easier and clear manner that he has. Now, while there are too many highlights for me to share here, I'll say broadly that we cover ideas about how to invest in your own ability to create value, how to think about investing, why an abundance mindset is paramount, not only in finance, but in relationships and beyond, and then off the list to even cover how to help children develop a strong sense of personal and financial responsibility, David being a father of two. And of course, I'll leave the most startling principles for you to discover for yourself. The goal is to enjoy your life, he says, not to die sitting on a big stash of cash. David's philosophy is not about being a miser. It's about making smart decisions to maximize your wealth to the greater end of maximizing your life. All right, Bolton, I want to listen already, right? Let me into the interview. All right, you got it. Hi, everybody. Welcome now to our interview. I'm joined by David Vexler. Now, David, you wrote an article or in October last year, what I first saw as a Facebook post and what I uh, now see had been published a couple of days later as an article uh, on your website. The lead into your post had intrigued me at the time, especially knowing who you are. It read, now that I'm 40, I feel qualified to drop some wisdom on the world. And you proceeded with, to start, here are my 10 principles of personal finance. Um, I was then impressed with the wisdom found within, and I've invited you here to discuss those principles in more detail. So this subject's highly relevant on this show, uh, you know, as I talk all the time about seeking effective practical systems, ideas, and principles uh, to achieve optimal results in all aspects of an integrated life. And finance or personal economy, perhaps along with health, is among the most fundamentally important values we must seek to nurture as money is time and time is life. So I often say here, when we seek financial freedom, what we really want is time freedom. And uh, another thing, David, uh, I've always uh, thought of you on my guest list when I first started thinking about having a a podcast. I just knew that it would be valuable to talk to you about almost anything. And then when I saw you post this thing, I read, I was like, and then I made some notes, maybe I'll be able to talk to him about that. So I was finally ready to invite you. And I'm very pleased that you've agreed to find some time for me. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Really appreciate it. All right. So before we get going, I didn't 
really give you much of an actual bio because uh, your activities are so vast. I don't really know where to begin. Um, I do know you're the chief technology officer at Royal Exchange, but then I don't even really know what that means. So uh, maybe you can some, uh, offer somewhat of a condensed personal history for us. Um, maybe, you know, where you're from, maybe what's been your general career and life path. Maybe bring us to uh, what, what you describe you do today. Sure. So I was born in Soviet Ukraine. So I, uh, I lived there for, for 10 years. And so that, I think, shapes a lot of uh, my approach to the world. Um, having the experience as an immigrant of being um, living in an alien culture um, has given me a different perspective. And I think that's been really valuable. Um, so I grew up um, first in Ukraine, then in Texas all over Texas, um, we're pretty typical in the U.S. I went to college, um, got, got three degrees. I wasn't really sure what to, what to focus on, started engineering. Uh, that was honestly, the math was too hard for me. Switched to economics and political science, modern Russian. Um, but I didn't want to be an academic. So they got another degree in patient systems. And so once I had a graduate degree, I had to get a job. Uh, started working in technology. So I've uh, been working in technology uh, from 2003 until today. So all kinds of different jobs, uh, working on my way up, basically, developer, architect, uh, senior architect, uh, CTO. Uh, I was director of technology at a nonprofit for five years. Uh, that was interesting. So yeah, working my way up. Um, one thing that's interesting is I lived, as I said, in Texas, New York City, and then I moved to China for five years. And that was a very interesting experience. Uh, it was maybe not great for my career development, but from perspective uh, development and just getting a broader understanding of the world was very, very important. Um, and so then I moved back to the US to work at a nonprofit for five years as director of technology. And just a year ago, started this new role as CTO. All right. Oh, uh, and yeah. as an aside, I also run a hedge fund uh, on my, my spare time. <laughs> and I have a small, a small gig uh, helping people with their Bitcoin wallets. Yes. All right. Well, and, and that's just a lot of this too. Like you say, you're qualified that, you know, what, what you're qualified about is you live this, these principles of personal, like personal finance, right? So, and you've been very successful uh, financially, we should say, would you say that? Yeah. Right. So I wrote an article, How to Become a Millionaire by, by 40. So I was a few years early, but basically I wrote exactly what my strategy was. And I just kind of, part of it is just my personality and part of it is just the experience of, of being a foreigner uh, in Asia and in the U.S. and having a different perspective um, led me to develop a philosophy of personal finance, career development. And I would say it's been very successful. All right. Great, David. And uh, I just know a few, a bit more of your credentials uh, on a subject such as personal finance. Just for listeners, I met you first a couple of years ago at TOSCon 2018 in Richmond, Virginia. That's the Objective Standard Conference. Um, and I want to tell you, David, incidentally, I was just checking out the program for the 2021 conference this year in, in Newton, Massachusetts. And I saw on the webpage that I made the... Uh, the poster photo there um, that, you know, announcing the conference. So um, now I do think, 
Yeah, thank you very much. I it's think I'm in the team. background too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they were trying to uh, feature the, the bright young people in the front there, whom they had in focus. But I'm, you know, you can see me nonetheless listening astutely out of focus in the background to some lecture. Um, but you did one better there. You were an actual speaker there. Um, and your talk was entitled Radical Strategies for Achieving Financial Freedom. And I'll say, which I think I did say to you at the time, that it was one of the very top lectures that I was looking forward to coming from Korea, as my wife and I did. I wonder, by the way, David, did you, do you remember when you first met us before the conference started at all? You know, Maybe. I had forgotten until you just mentioned it. And now I remember the conversations that we had. After, after my talk, I remember that. Before my talk, honestly, it's kind of a blur. I, I, I think I was focusing more on finishing my speech. Yeah, it has to be. It's just in, it, what it was is in the pre, you know, when everybody's get arriving, you get set up and then you hang around lounging and meeting people. And then you approached us and we were standing there. I was like, oh, nice to meet you. And here's another guy who just wants to see, you know, he meet us and see what's going on. And then we introduced each other and I said, blah, blah, blah. And I asked what you were looking forward to. And then you said you were a speaker. And I said, oh, and then you told me what your talk was going to be taught. And I, and I said, oh, that's one of the main ones I was looking forward to. I just didn't recognize your your face uh you know as that at all so i thought that was fun and then uh of course later yeah, we sat at the table at the banquet and all that so that was a great experience for me um so i say with all that though we've established your cred you are indeed qualified to talk on 10 personal 10 principles of personal finance um i thought that maybe we'll just go through them and uh, and see it sure. I'll, I'll set them up and you knock them down all right so sure. Principle number one was marry someone who shares your financial philosophy. And then you go on. If you don't, you may be setting up for a life of endless conflict, not to mention the possibility of divorce, as money is the number one issue couples fight over. Now, what is a financial philosophy? That's the first question you ask in your article. And you offer some answers or some yeah, questions. So let me back up a little bit. Um, I read a lot of uh, finance articles and when people talk about personal finance, it's often the things like get a 401k. So it's either about, it's about how to maximize investments or uh, skip your coffee or get the coffee at the office, which is really dumb. That is not, yeah, my personal finance list is not about how to save money. That's, that's, that's a part of it for sure. But, um, the main reason I wanted to write this was I wanted to have a contrast to um, personal finance perspectives where you're just trying to focus on, on savings or investing. Philosophy is much more important than these details. The details follow from the philosophy. So I, most of my list is not how to save money or how to increase investments, but higher level things uh, that, that are more important, right? So, the, so that's why I started with financial philosophy. And of course, if you're looking for a partner that shares your philosophy, you have to start thinking about your own philosophy. Uh, so I think your question was, what is a financial philosophy? And I think, I think number one question is, do you want to be uh, financially successful? Because maybe for most people, it's not important in life. That's just not a value. And if it's not, maybe that, that's okay. Um, Maybe you have hobbies that you want to focus on. Um, to me, it was important that I be financially independent by the time, at least at, at, at the latest 50, hopefully early 40s. And so with that goal, you have to figure out what you want to do. 
And so to, to reach a destination, you have to decide where you're going. And so number one step is decide that having a financial philosophy is important to you. And once you do that, then you have, you know, you're able to set goals. Okay. All right. So I see you've got a few, what are some kind of um, questions that might come up? Like, I know you list a few, we don't have to go and list them all, but what is the type of thing for listeners that you would make up a financial philosophy? You did say, do you prefer to spend free time? You, you hinted there, but what, what else? So, so I think just not, the most important thing, let's say you're talking with your partner uh, is how important is, is the maximization of wealth? Okay. Because if it's not important, that radically changes your lifestyle. So if you care about staying near your relatives and, and you want to stay, let's say, in your, in your, in your, in your parents' home that you inherited or, or you really value your community, then you're limited to a particular geographical location and, and the jobs available there. And you really don't want to take risks. Um, you know, you're really constraining yourself to the kind of career development you can have. And I'm not saying it's irrational to, to, to want to stay in one area, but, but that's an important decision. And you have to decide that and you have to find a partner that shares the philosophy. So when I was engaged, my wife, we talked about the fact that we want to live overseas and that was important for our, uh, you know, for our life plans. And if we had radically differed in that regard, that would be a big point of conflict. So yeah, number one is, um, you know, do you want to be ambitious with, with, with career development, pursuing your wealth? Um, and of course, very important question is how important is it that you have two incomes? Um, kids, you know, for, for the Arabic part of that, but um, two incomes and um, do you want to retire early? If you do, you really have to make huge changes in your, in your uh, personal finance approach. Right. And if you want to make huge changes in a financial approach or any aspect of life, you better have your partner on board or it's going to be a disaster. Is I guess it, it will the, be. Yeah. Yeah. So again, bottom line is, is wealth important to you or not? And if, if it is, then you have to make radical changes to your lifestyle. Right on. I'll tell you. Yeah. Okay. We'll go ahead then. By the way, before we do continue, is there any particular order to the, when you lay them out like one to 10 or is it just any significance? I'm thinking, um, not, not especially. I put some of them more, more out there ones towards the end because I don't want to turn people off, but, but that was my only consideration. I see. Yeah. I, it didn't, it didn't, I didn't seem so, but, uh, anyway, that's a good consideration. All right, David, number two is if something brings you joy and you have the cash to pay for it, disregard the rest of the rules and get it. And then you start with life is too short to worry about whether something is worth it. Uh, but you note a couple qualifiers. Can you break those down? Yeah, I try to be careful with my words uh, sure. when I make these rules. And so I, that's why I have the qualifier and you have the cash to pay for it. So Americans in particular have access to easy credit and you can get anything on an installment plan. And so um, let's back up a second. One thing is keeping the goal in mind. The, the reason that this is number two rule is the goal is to enjoy your life. So not to die sitting on a big stash of cash. So let's let's think about, yeah, yeah. our goal is spend your money. And so if something brings, brings you joy and you have the money for it, then spend the money. So don't agonize about it. It's not, my philosophy is not about 
being um, a, a miser. It's about it's about making smart decisions to maximize your wealth. And so that's why this was number two. Uh, but yeah, the qualifier is you have to have the cash to pay for it. Uh, if you're uh, always buying things on credit, um, you're never going to be able to build up wealth. Okay. All right, then. Um, how would you define joy or happiness in this context? So, because, you know, a person might say that, you know, a row of chocolate cookies at midnight or a Chanel handbags give them joy. But what do you mean and how can one recognize that something truly gives them joy? You know, this is a bit about my pay grade. I've not thought deeply about this. Oh, but, that's fine. Um, but, you know, I enjoy eating candy, but I know it's not good for me. So I think long-term thinking, uh, yeah, you know, this is a very philosophical question, but, but in general, um, you have to, you have to know what kinds of things you enjoy and make them consistent with, uh, what is good for you in the long term. That's, that's the general answer. There you go. Now that's a great answer. Yeah. And, and it's the same thing. I don't expect a great answer if I'm trying to ask myself that. And it's like, I can encourage people to do just that, but then how do you even, how can you judge that? It's different for everybody. You have to figure it out. You have to figure things out on your own at the end of the day. And that's why we need principles. So, well, yeah. So one thing I think about is uh, a lot of things bring me pleasure, but if I pursue this thing long-term, is it really going to be beneficial for me? Is it going to continue bringing me joy? So I, I never did any kind of drugs or I don't actually drink alcohol, but just as an example, uh, you know, drinking is enjoyable in the short term, but in long term it's detrimental. Uh, so there's a lot of things that, you know, I know, I enjoy eating all kinds of food that I know in the long term are going to be destructive. So I just try to make smart decisions. Okay. Anyway, and then uh, just let me highlight that last line. You said, you said uh, the goal of savings and financial responsibility is to enjoy your wealth not die in a pile of cash. I want to say amen to that or hallelujah, whatever you got to say that I love that. So highlight that part. We'll go on to number three then. Um, when you are young, focus your energy on growing income. As you get older, focus on growing your assets and minimizing spending. Can you mm-hmm. break that down some? So um, a lot of people ask if when they're in their 20s, I have a spare $500, how do I invest it? Which is, uh, yeah, so, so to, to, to preface this, it's important to start investing early. I started when I was 15. But at the same time, when you're young, your time is really cheap. Meaning that when, with the work you do, you don't get a lot per hour. Um, but, but that means that you can spend um, a lot of time learning and building that your value. The older you get, the more expensive your time becomes meaning that you have all kinds of commitments that you have to keep up with um, and then your time is more expensive. So when you're young, if you have extra time and extra money, spend it on building your value, meaning spend it on being able to build your value to your employer, your customers. When you're older, your time is a lot more expensive. You have a lot more commitments, but you have more cash. And instead of working for your money, you can make your money work for you. That's the general idea there. Okay, great. Um, and I guess this is a hard one, but what is young and old in this context? I mean, you mentioned 15. Like, 
it, it really depends on how quickly you make that transition from uh, from being cheap labor to being expensive labor. You know, if you're if you're Mark Zuckerberg, that was in your early twenties. Okay. Um, and that so that's very very particular. Uh, so ideally, by your mid thirties, your time should be valuable. Uh, but see. again, the earlier the better. Right. Okay. Um, and and you say to invest your savings in. In, in yourself, um, might you also admit then going into debt to improve your wealth creating ability? That's like, a, you know, against number two, but that's not the same thing as just spending money you don't have, but to invest in yourself, how far can some, might someone go in debt for that? Yeah. So of course, when you go to college, most people go in debt and uh, there's all kinds of thoughts about whether that's wise, but in general, when you're young, um, you go in debt for your education. In, in general, the idea I do approve of. Um, so that's the main debt you take on. Um, but more, more generally, um, a lot of people are too cheap to purchase things like online courses or books. And you should realize that your time is cheap uh, and you need to use that time to build your value. And so uh, don't, you know, I have a whole philosophy about savings, but you really need to do whatever you can and spend your money on building your value. And that that's mainly going to be education um, and unpaid internships. So there's official internships, but any kind of on, um, on the job learning, uh, even if it's unpaid, uh, you know, that's a very important opportunity to build your skills. All right. Yeah. Great, man. So, okay. So this idea of protecting your savings and make your money work for you. Um, I, I don't want yeah. I don't want to take us off and do a whole other thing. I want to focus on these principles and, and lay them out. But uh, do you have any general advice for like almost the principles of investing? I mean, a financially unsavvy person beginning, how do they even think about building an investment portfolio? Is there subjects we must be fluent in or specific resources you can recommend or anything at all a lead? So, so that's where rule number four comes in. Don't expect oh. others to be smarter with your money than you. So uh, this is backed by a lot of research that shows that um, the typical mutual fund does not uh, beat after expenses, the, the market index. And so there's all kinds of people that throughout your life are going to offer to do things with your money. And you should not assume that just because they have some credential um, or because you're bad with money, that they're going to be any better. Uh, and so my general investment portfolio is invest in the market as a whole and keep your fees low. But those two things. So broad market uh, ETFs and keep the overhead low. Uh, and then number three principle is uh, it's not uh, about timing the market or picking the right funds. It's about uh, your savings rate. That's by far the main determinant of how successful you're going to be as an investor. Your savings rate, how much of your income you put into the market. So don't worry too much about what to invest in, uh, when to invest, who's managing it. Uh, Focus by far on your savings rate. Uh, That's going to be 95% of your success. And then after that, just keep your overhead low, invest in the overall market, and you'll be fine. Wow. Well, I'm very glad I asked. I think it's excellent advice for listeners. Thank you, Dave. Um, 
So you did say number four, don't expect others to be smarter with you, uh, smarter with your money than you. Um, is there anything else to say on that then? Uh, yeah. So okay, investing yeah. is a part of that. Um, mm-hmm. As you become more successful, you should start investing in uh, so, so market returns have been really eroded by all the financial regulations. By the time a company goes public, most of the risk has been taken out. Uh, and so there, therefore, most of the reward has been taken out by, by venture capital. Um, and so you need to look for opportunities beyond markets um, you know, as, as you get more wealth. So that could be real estate, that could be various investments in people's startups. Um, but my, my message there is do your own due diligence. Just because somebody comes to you with a brilliant idea, um, don't, you know, do your own research. Don't trust your friends, um, your financial advisor. Um, as you're investing in, in things, make sure you understand that investment yourself. Okay. And again, just generally, if you have anything, what, would, what are you looking for in such research? What kind of things? I, I mean, what I think, it, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, the business model just has to make sense. So I, I look a lot at, at uh, cryptocurrency projects, which maybe is very exotic for most people, but mm-hmm. each, each cryptocurrency is a business model. And so whenever you invest in, in any business, does it just make sense, like the revenue model? Because maybe, maybe I don't know, half or majority of businesses uh, uh, that fail don't have a business model that in, in the common plain explanation makes sense. Uh, and, and I think the vast majority of successful businesses uh, are profitable from day one. There are exceptions, but uh, any kind of business, if they're asking for your money, they should be profitable very soon. They should not require transforming the market or some miracle happening to become profitable. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, David, uh, number five, then let's move it. Uh, focus yep. on fixed expenses over, uh, over variable expenses. And this sounds like something from your talk, I recall. Um, this is very powerful. Please tell us about this. Yeah, and so th- this is where I'm most critical of traditional advice, which is all about variable expenses. So variable expenses are things you can change in the short term. Like, uh, like I mentioned, you know, not paying for Starbucks or, or not doing so much uh, to take out restaurant eating or, uh, you know, going to the movie so much. It's not a smart approach. So articles like to focus on variable expenses, just like uh, health advice is always about what you can do today to lose weight or, you know, eat healthy. But um, things that really transform your lifestyle are things that you invest over the long term. And with finance, Things that you can set and forget are much more powerful than things that require willpower on a daily basis. So if you like to have Starbucks every day, you know, by all means, that's not going to make a huge difference in your finance. But if you can just get a cheaper apartment, you know, you just make the decision, you know, once a year or every few years, and it's automatic. You know, the rent is less every month. If you buy a cheaper car, uh, if you find a childcare solution that's cheaper, that, that those so-called fixed expenses uh, require a lot less daily commitment uh, and and effort. Uh, just set it and forget it. And so the main message is focus on your fixed expenses first. Anything that you commit to over the long term, optimize that. 
don't focus so much on things that require daily willpower because that will, you know, that's a lot harder to sustain. Yes, I hear it. And I'll tell you what, I just reading this again, um, I was, I, I saw, recognized that at least I think my wife and I are doing this well, um, at least this one well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really amazed all the time to her how little I actually pay attention to what we do. Like we just kind of go about, we need to get something for somebody. Yeah, give it to them. We'll, get, we'll go. We want to get this. Do you want to go here? What would you like not? Is this okay this week? Is this okay today? And I just felt almost like, you know, I feel a little guilty in, in regard to other ways uh, that I deal with my finances. I think I don't think I'm doing very well, but yet I find myself, I feel kind of rich uh, in my life and, I, you know, a sense of that. And I kind of wonder how we've been able to do it. And I think that's a big part of it because when I look at other things, I'm like, we have things that are, we just, it's, we have the, we have this thing forever. We don't change it. We don't upgrade this thing necessarily until we really have to, and yet we're free to buy a coffee, as you say. So, so yeah, go ahead. Let's look at some specifics. Like the, the number one, uh, the top expenses for people is going to be that they're housing, yeah. right? So one thing I do is I uh, I get the smallest housing situation I can afford. So I just bought my first home um, many years after I could afford it, but but you know I resisted that and I got the smallest apartment that we would tolerate. And, and, you know, once you set it, it's automatic. You just pay the rent every month. There's no additional effort required. And I got the, you know, it, you know, it was a decent car, but I didn't get the most I can afford. I got the the cheapest one I could tolerate. Um, and then uh, insurance, right? I always like to self-insure. So I build a large, um, you know, large savings account, and then I get the minimum insurance. And so that, those are the top expenses that people have. Um and yeah, so, or one big one is I always live close to the office. So I don't have a lot of time in traffic, but also, uh, you know, we have, uh, my, my wife and I share a car because I never have to be stuck in traffic. Uh, it's easy for us to share. Um, and so I, you know, I fix those things and then the rest is a lot easier. And that's awesome. I, I'm hearing number one in this, David, because you're saying the lowest, cheapest I can tolerate, the smallest space I can tolerate, and your partner better be on board, right? Or else you're going to have a nightmare. Um, yeah. Yes. So I just love seeing this again, as I said. Um, now that I, I recognize that this is what we're doing, I can be even more intentional about it and review and see how well I'm actually doing and then add, you know, do better on it, um, as of course, with all the other principles too. Yeah. Just recognize our society is built the other way. If you go to a realtor or a dealership, they're going to try to find out what's the biggest vehicle you can afford, what's the biggest home you can afford, whereas your approach would be exactly the opposite. What is the cheapest thing that I can tolerate? Because that frees up my capital for building wealth and enjoying other things. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, that idea, you, you call it, it's, a, it's very catchy, set and forget. And I just, oh, baby, I love the sound of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, just, it's so uh, liberating, that, that concept. Um, number six, then. Give your time generously when young. Give your money generously when old. Uh, what's that about? Yeah. So this is more than just about charitable giving. This is about how, how, to, how to allocate your resources. And, and, and it's, it's, not this, it's not meant to be altruistic, but it's more a selfish consideration. When you're young, as I said, your, your, your time is cheap. And so you can use your time to, uh, to, to, to benefit yourself and others uh, by, by doing things like free labor. Uh, having passion projects is very important for, for career development, uh, whether it's 
going to somebody and doing work for free or uh, in your actual job taking on new projects. Just, uh, you know, when you're young, you have that time to, take, to, to give your time generously and really throw yourself into work. Um, as you get older, your time is a lot more scarce. You have family and kids and all kinds of commitments. And so at that point, you're building up your, your, your wealth and you can start investing that. And so, of course, you can give wealth charitably, but you can also give it by investing in, in businesses mm-hmm. and markets, and that will have a much uh, better return once you have some wealth to invest. Okay. And, you know, you said, in, like in the article, it says, look for opportunities with the, the money you have. Look for opportunities to invest in promising businesses. And I just wonder, once again, what does it actually look like to invest in promising business. Like I don't have anybody coming up to me and asking me for money. You know, I do have money to invest, but nobody's coming up and saying, Hey, I'm going to do this. And then I have to go check them out and make sure the model's good. What, what does that look like in reality? You know, I'm not an authority on this, but if you think what romantic relationships, uh, you don't expect, uh, you know, the, the perfect partner to fall into your lap. You have to go out there and meet people, right. And put yourself in, in places where you're going to meet interesting people. And same with looking for business partners. You have to make an effort to put yourself in places where you're going to find interesting opportunities. And so I'm in the crypto space and I participate, you know, I try to make sure that I have interesting friends that are going to create opportunities for me. Um, and so n- number one, it's not about filtering is important but most important is to identify places, a chamber of commerce or whatever you're into, find circles that are going to introduce you to interesting people. Okay. Yeah. That, that's more important than uh, your ability to read somebody's balance sheets. Man, yeah, above your pay grade, but you're, you're nailing it anyway, buddy. <laughs> Number seven, let's go on here. Uh, don't confuse spending with achievement. Oh, this one is a beauty. Please tell us about that, David. Yeah. So, so I think most of these are not uh, uh, super original. This one I will take credit for. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I'm sure somebody thought of it, but, but I don't see this mentioned very often, even though I see this problem a lot. So let me give you my typical example. Somebody uh, wants to get in shape, and so they buy a gym membership, and they feel like they're healthier. They haven't started going to the gym every day. They just bought the membership and they feel like they've done something. Or, or you want to learn how to program Python and you buy a book in programming and you feel like you've already made an effort toward being a Python programmer. So you're using your spending uh, to, to get a sense of achievement when you really have not achieved anything. You're just spent money. And people spend money on all kinds of things. Uh, I used to have all kinds of hobbies. I took up rollerblading and skiing and uh, I want to start doing airplane uh, pilot lessons and uh, and tennis, and I always buy the equipment and rock climbing. And so I have, you know, I got a huge box full of all the hobbies that I abandoned. And so I would start, spend money on it, but never really pursue it. So I'm thinking I had the, I, 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 I confused spending with achievement. I thought that if I invested in something, I'd achieve the thing when actually real achievement comes from persistent effort in a given area. And usually you can, um, you, you can start 
a passion without investing money in it. So even things like you want to become a pilot, you can usually go to to an airport, private uh, airport, and you know meet people and talk to them and get get some free rides. Or uh, you want to be a programmer, you can always taunt the free resources or um, you know whatever you want to get in shape. Don't get a gym membership. There's all kinds of things you can do. So don't start throwing money at a thing and thinking you achieved something. Uh, first, try doing it without any expenditure and spend money when you want to get to the next level. You know, usually like, you know, biking um, requires a lot of, you have to get a nice bike and you want to usually eventually upgrade it. So you do want to spend money to get to the next level, but usually to get started requires very little uh, money spent and you can uh, confirm that that's really something you want to pursue. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just hearing you talk about the biking, it reminded me, I'm not making any you know, judgment on individuals, but generally as a culture, culturally Koreans, typically I live in Korea here and they, uh, yep. they love to get all the gear for everything. If there's like the worst, like pickup soccer game, all the guys have the best stuff way better than any of us had, would have. And they don't care. And they get all the biking gear and then golf, same thing. And you can pick up like, you know, really great golf clubs for very cheap somewhere because they sell them right, right after because they just give it up. It's crazy how they really care about it. But And, and just, of course, our culture everywhere encourages this because, you know, companies won't want to sell goods and they want to sell you the idea that whatever hobby you take on running or, or biking or photography, you just need to buy the, the best gear and you'll be set. Uh, and I learned this with photography. Uh, now I just use my iPhone. I had all this gear, but it was really just literally slowing me down to carry all that. Uh, now just having my iPhone and the skills is much more powerful than having all the gear and no skills. So it's, real achievement is not about getting the gear. It's about developing the skills over time. Yeah. And then instead, and I'll just then highlight once more what you've written there is that once you've taken a meaningful start towards your goal and have a firm idea of how spending money will make you more productive in achieving it, you can feel confident. And that's, you'd get, that's about, I like how you put it, getting it to the next level. If you, if it's about yeah. that, go then by all means, go ahead. But first develop a bit of a passion or at least know that you're in it and you want to get somewhere. I love this. Uh, like, that. This is a yeah. silly example, but okay. uh, so I started running um, about a year ago. And it's my first winter in Denver, and I've been freezing my legs off. So I got really nice uh, winter running tights. Uh, stay warm. That's what next level I want to run through through freezing weather in the winter. Uh, and so I spent money on that. And now, you know, that, that was a worthwhile investment. But, but first, I just, you know, ran for a while in the cold and identified that something I want to keep doing. Right. Okay. Perfect. Perfect example. Uh, by the way, and I do want to ask you on this, when did you make this realization uh, in your life? You did you, kind of this principle. You said, look, people don't pay attention to this. And this is, and, and you, were you always doing it well? Or were you kind of go, I'm not doing this well. This is what I'm doing too. I did it too. And it was, it was with the gym membership specifically, because I just noticed that I did it too. Of course, people are always buying gym memberships that they never use. And, and I, that, that's when I realized that people think that they are are living a healthier lifestyle by just having a membership, even if they never go to the gym. Uh, and I don't know, it, was, it was recently, it was, you know, four or five years ago. 
Okay. Yeah. And then that, that just brought it out. You saw it applied to many other places and said, Hey, this is right. This is happening all over. And I'm totally guilty of this. You know, like I said, I had all the photography gear and, and, and biking gear and all kinds of stuff. And, but I wasn't using it because I thought that just having the gear was equivalent to achievement. Yeah. Well, Hey, look, of course. I mean, that's why we're dropping wisdom when we're 40 because we've, we've been guilty of these things. We're telling these people, look, man, you don't do this. We know now, you know, but, uh, all right. So you've got number eight here. Uh, make spending money on something your last recourse, please. How yeah. So, um, not, not, I, mean, I don't know if everybody's guilty of this, but a lot of people think that if you have a problem, you just need to throw money at it. Um, and they don't hesitate to start buying things to solve the problem. So I just bought my first house and there's all kinds of tools you need to maintain this house. Uh, and so my first thought is not I have to go to Home Depot and buy a new angle grinder or I needed a a, a planer. I, I had some trim and I needed to plane the trim because it was too thick. And my first thought was not let's go to Home Depot and buy a new a planer. It was to post on Facebook and ask my friends, hey, does anyone have a planer I can use? Right away, I got a response. Somebody, some one of my friends had a really nice one. I drove over there, did it. And I sell, saved myself a few hundred dollars, not hiring somebody, not having to buy the expensive tool, uh, you know, just, just borrowing the tool. And so usually uh, if you have a problem, uh, you can find a cheaper solution uh, than just throwing money at it. Right. Okay. And then, and there is a certain point where at one time it would be, it would be like, you're just trying to save the small bits. Like it's like not, I want to save on coffee then you should just go for it ahead, right? But Yeah, the important thing is your, your, your first thought is how can I solve this without spending money? And if you then realize that, uh, well, actually, uh, for me to do it, it's more expensive than just to hire somebody and go ahead. But just always look for, for a cheaper approach. Um, like, um, so my wife and I share, I share a car and occasionally I will take an Uber with the whole with pandemic thing, uh, COVID, uh, we haven't done it, but, but, uh, so we share, share a vehicle and occasionally that means we have to take an Uber. And a lot of other people would say, um, well, you know, there's one day a week where we both need to do the car. And so therefore we have to have two, but it's far cheaper just to ride share occasionally. And it worked fine. And just looking for a cheaper approach uh, has been really effective in my life. Okay. Well that, yeah, that's very helpful to stick it with the principle, look for a cheaper approach first. And then when you recognize this is, I got to call a guy or something like to help yeah. me, I can't, yeah, then you go for it. Beautiful. Um, number nine, go to bed early. Now, what does going to bed early have to do with personal finance? That was the question you asked in the article. Please answer it. Yeah. So to become wealthy, you, um, yeah, you have to do two things. You have to spend time uh, working and you have to spend time thinking about how to improve your value, your productivity. And they're really two different things. So whether you have a job or you're an entrepreneur, um, you're going to have an activity that just putting hours into it generates a constant uh, uh, amount of wealth. So if you have an hourly job, you know, you work at the job, you get paid an hourly sum. But even if you work for yourself and you go, uh, you're, you're, a, you're a plumber, uh, you, you look for customers and you 
get paid an hourly rate. Um, but if you want to develop your career, whether you're a plumber or you're, you're working you know, for, for a bank doing trading, you have to invest in improving the value that you create. And so you need a, a time during the day where you're not interrupted and you're thinking about how can I create more value today? And you really need to do that on a regular basis. And to me, that's, uh, that's in the morning because by the end of the day, uh, once you get into the day, there's always so many distractions. And I think this applies to almost any career. Again, whether you're f- fixing pipes or trading, uh, I always no- no- notice that once it's past nine or 9.30, I have all these distractions I'm thinking about, uh, how do I perform my job? But I need a time during the day where I'm thinking, how do I create more value? And the morning is a time. And it just follows that it's gonna be in the morning to do that, you have to go to bed early. It's, it sounds like a principle about health, but really it's about maximizing the value you're creating, having a time where you can think about how to invest in yourself. And the more entrepreneurial your job is, the more of that time you need. So if you're a CEO, um, then you have to have, you know, that's why all success, successful executives, I don't know if all, but I'm guessing that's majority, uh, they go to bed early and they have a time in the morning when they're thinking about how do I create more wealth for my business. Right, so it's not just about getting up and let me, let's get to work because that's the, the time where I have the most energy to get my writing. It's about taking time to think. Is yeah. That it? Uh, it, it's, there's, there's, it, it's, it's identifying there's two different activities in your career Th- that there's work where you produce a constant amount of value and there's, uh, there's, I don't have a better name for it, uh, investing in yourself. We, we look for ways to, to build your value or create new opportunities. And that really has to be done in the morning before you're distracted, uh, with the work itself. You know, uh, you know, Alex Epstein talks a lot about time blocking, calendar comprehensiveness. Uh, it sounds like you said you go for a bike ride or you, or something in the day and you're thinking about your, your, your day, planning out, right. developing a plan for the day. It's almost like basically this principle of going to bed early is really about planning. It's, it's kind of smuggled in here that as a principle. Um, do you, is, is it, do you do anything? How comprehensive is your calendar? Is it like weekly, monthly, or is it just daily? You kind of say, what, what's going on today? And at what rate do you think different ranges, I guess? So let's maybe specific to my career. So as CTO, I, um, have to plan out a lot of meetings and I'm always thinking about, uh, so maybe this is a specific, but, but for me, putting dates on the calendar is how I, um, manage priorities. So I schedule a lot of meetings, uh, because it's a way of make sure that I don't drop the ball and a lot of things. Uh, and so the morning is when I, when I think about what are my top priorities for the day and you know, half my meetings are with myself, just, just me putting things on the calendar to make sure that I don't drop the ball on this. Uh, or whenever I have an important meeting, I always block off time before it, uh, for me to have prep time. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, that's my approach to managing priorities. No, it does. I mean, the best sometimes we can do is just explain how, how we approach it and then people can try to relate it to their own situation. Right. So, but, but one thing I will say about the blocking off time, uh, and I'm not, I'm not good at this, but it's very important at the start of your day to write down your goals for the day, have priorities. 
uh, that, that is really critical no matter what your job is. So, so in, in my role, I have a daily stand up with my team and I say what my commitment is. And, you know, my team is mostly developers. I don't do mostly development work, but I still tell them what I'm going to work on for my own benefit. So, so I have thought about, I'm forced to think about what are my accomplishments that I want to get done today. Okay. Um, now, it, there, you did mention a bit of something about people, why people do stay up late. Uh, do you want to touch on that a little bit here? Just Yeah. So, so there's just, I don't know if it's Chinese or Japanese concept. Uh, I think it's Japanese. Well, well that's chi- uh, uh, some Chinese writing, I think, there, but it might be, they, they use it, they all use Chinese, so it might be a Japanese concept I, right there. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember uh, how it's translated. But basically, uh, the idea is that people feel powerless over their lives during the day because most people have all kinds of commitments. And, you know, parents especially, you're always distracted by all kinds of things, pulling you, pulling you in different directions, taking your time away. And so late at night is the time that you have all to yourself. And so, oh, okay, it's Japanese term, I think. Revenge procrastination is what it means. Okay. Revenge procrastination? Revenge, right? right. You're taking revenge on all the people that distracted you during the day by procrastinating late at night. Oh, I see. And I think it's, yeah. But it's it's a very common phenomenon. I don't know. I probably across the whole world. I just notice people do it a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I take interest in, in my, my team, the people I manage. When I see them coming in tired and I'll ask them, you know, why are you staying up late? Uh, not, you know, not being nosy, but, you know, I want to be a mentor. And I notice how common this is. People stay up late playing video games because they don't feel in control of things during their day. Uh, you know, whether you're parents or you just have a lot of things at work, you stay up late because that's the time that you can, uh, you have nobody managing your time. And mm-hmm. just recognize you're doing that. And it's a self-destructive behavior. Uh, assert yourself, assert your, your priorities during the day. Don't stay up late and then ruin the next day. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I kind of used to try to describe it as something like, cause, and, and I do it, I identify it only through introspection and my own behavior. I'm not calling it anybody else. This is how I would do it. And I would, wouldn't want to put myself to bed because I'm trying to like extend the party or something, I would say, because I feel like I'm busy all day and I don't have my own time, as you said. I see it with my students all the time in Korea. They just study yep. all day. And then they just, kids just stay up all night because I think they think it's the only time that they have of their own. And it, but, and, and even though you recognize my day is going to suck tomorrow, if I do this, if I don't get myself to bed, you don't put yourself to bed. And then you go the next day and go, I, oh, I hate what I'm doing here. And it's like, well, you would enjoy it more if you had, if you were rested. And, um, you know, and I can mm-hmm. attest that I'm a much happier now that I put myself to bed, like intention, I say, I'm just going to bed because I know I need to put myself down, charge, charge up to have a better day tomorrow. Now, I'm not perfect at it, but yeah. I'm just saying, get you much better. So, so I think one approach here is um, assert the value of your time. So that's why I use meetings uh, during my day to say that, you know, I'm in control of my schedule and this is something I want to do tomorrow or, or whenever. And so I feel in control of my own time. I'm not being pulled by other people to meetings. I'm setting my own priorities. And then the other thing is that um, I go to bed early a lot because I'm going to go for a run the next day or a bike ride. 
And so I'm focusing on the thing I want to accomplish the next day. And I have to go to bed early. Otherwise, I can't get up in time. Uh, I'll be pulled into my work day. And so, yeah, that's why I deal with that. Yeah, I guess if you can project better tomorrow, what is tomorrow going to look like? Even if it's just work that you don't necessarily love, like going to bike ride, you love it, right? But but yet, yeah, I'm gonna, I can enjoy it a lot more if I go. And if you start to develop, think, project that, then maybe you can make the decision now. But that's with uh, that's a broad principle about a lot of decisions that we we try to make in a moment. Um, sure. All right. All right. Um, so number ten now. This this is a beauty, isn't it? Develop an abundance mindset. Uh, go on, man. Please. What is that? So I, I thought. Yeah, when I heard this for the first time, I thought it was some kind of hippie idea, and maybe it is in the world at large, but, but uh, to me, it became a whole kind of uh, perspective on the world. Um, yeah, again, I don't know how original this is, but I just noticed that a lot of people um, see the world as, as a fixed pie, where everybody's competing for resources. And for you to win, somebody has to lose. And that's a scarcity mindset. When when you don't see people as creators of value, but people that are redistributing existing value. And this is it's not just about wealth. It's about relationships. For you to have a great romantic relationship, somebody else has to not have your partner or, or friendship. You know, you always tit for tat. Uh, or, you know, in, in investments, uh, for you to win, somebody has to lose money. Uh, but that's not how the world works. We're all creators of value, whether, whether it's a friendship or romantic relationships. You know, you, you create those things um, but by investing yourself in others. Um, same with wealth. And so that's the abundance mindset when you realize that the world is full of resources and it's up to you to organize those resources in a way that, that creates value in the, every aspect of your life. That's the abundance mindset. All right. Yeah. You know what? And I, I use that term now. I think I might've first heard it from you. Um, and then I discovered that people do use abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset in other places. I've seen it, but, uh, but, uh, the, the way you describe it is how I use it. And I actually attribute it to, in a, you know, to a concept I kind of call objective optimism. It's one of the key, uh, you know, attributes of somebody is having that mindset versus the scarcity mindset. I mean, it's almost the whole thing because it really is looking at the world as a place of abundance and a positive view instead of focusing on scarcity and what you don't have. Yeah. So, and, and when it comes to wealth, um, a lot of people have the approach that, you know, you have to do your career and there's only a few opportunities and you're trying to go through all these jobs to find something that, that you can actually get. And that the opportunities for wealth creation are really limited. You're just not trying to scrounge. Uh, whereas in reality, there's, endless opportunities to be successful and you should not just feel uh, like you found this one career that, that, that accepted you. You should always be looking for what are there other opportunities that can generate wealth. The vast majority of my net worth is not from my, from my job. It's from other opportunities that I found because I was always looking for what are the opportunities where I can create value. All right, David. Um, you mentioned time preference in in the in the article. What is time preference uh, as a concept for people? Uh, time preference comes from Austrian economic uh, school, Austrian school of economics. It's the idea that um, I um, am where I am willing to, to defer current enjoyment of things for for more uh, enjoyment later. 
So whenever you save money, you're delaying current uh, uh, pleasure for 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 more uh, pleasure later, right? Um, so so the extent to which you're willing to do that is your time preference. So so studies have shown that people that have a a, um, a lower time preference, meaning that they're willing to to, to delay enjoyment uh, to later, are more successful in life. So if you put a candy in front of a kid. Uh, this was an actual study, and you say you can either have this candy now, or in 30 minutes you can have two candies. Kids that pick two candies three minutes later are more successful in life because right. they they're willing to not always be focused on the present, but be focused on long-term planning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not it's important. It's not just delaying the pleasure now to have the pleasure later. You get more later if you more if you do it. Right. right. Yeah. And uh, do you have something? Yeah. So so. Uh, very common with young people, they're focused on current pleasure. They're playing video games, they're, they're, they're partying, they're, uh, you know, all the same things people do. They're focusing on current pleasure. But people that are successful, they're, they're, uh, they have, a, they have a, um, a, a lower time preference. They're reading books, they're taking courses, they're uh, not staying up late so they can be awake for their job. And those are, that's how you become successful in your career and your relationships. And so that's why it's a very important concept. Yeah. And I guess it's related to abundance and scarcity and that they're seeking it now because they feel like it's, this is all I've got. I've got to take it now because that's all there is. And if you don't grab it, exactly. Is that it? Okay. Yeah. Um, I wonder just personally, when did you, did you always have kind of a more abundance mindset? I mean, you know, you were in a place of scarcity for the start of your life and how did, when did you really develop it? Would you think? Um, okay, so I remember exactly. So I read a series of books by James Clavell. Um, uh, so he wrote about uh, entrepreneurs uh, in, in Asia, uh, Japan, Hong Kong, China. And uh, it was one of the book, I think it was called uh, um, Taipan. It was set in Hong Kong. And so one of the characters presents his philosophy. So I think it was 13. And and so she, she talks about... Um, trying to remember uh, the, the, the importance of investing in yourself early and becoming set for life. And then, so that's when I decided that I was going to make financial success a priority in my life. Started investing in, in mutual funds at 15. And um, just, I just decided that this is something that would be important to me. And I would think about this. Okay. Well, I mean, that is the, those are the 10 principles. I do have a couple just uh, follow-up things that maybe will tie in a bit if, I, if you don't mind. Have you got a bit of time here? Sure. Sure. All right. Great. So uh, you're a father. How old are your daughters, David? Two and seven. Two and seven. Well, congratulations, by the way. I mean, it's, Thank they've, you. Been, they've been around for a while, but you know, you have a, like a healthy, like lovely family. So congratulations on that. Um, and I wanted to ask you, um, in my view, the fundamental job of a parent is to develop in their children the powers kind of necessary to uh, live an independent life. So how do you approach the subject of financial responsibility with your girls? Or how do you plan to do that? Like the teaching of this, you're not going to go, okay, here are the 10 principles that I figured out and lay them on. So how, in what ways? And again, I know this is not your, what you're writing about yeah. here, but just, just for what it, for whatever it's worth, I'd love to hear from you about it. Um, you know, I don't know well-developed philosophy here. What I will say is my experience in China, um, I, I saw on the streets where I lived, 
uh, there was a food stand and the family ran it. And oftentimes it was that their young daughter that was running the food stand. And she was seven or eight, but she was there all by herself running the food stand. And, you know, she made mistakes sometimes. And I, my broken Chinese, I would correct her. Um, but the point is, by the time she turns 18, she will have over 10 years experience running a business. And so I think uh, the most important thing is to uh, um, get kids working as early as possible in whatever, to whatever extent they're able. Um, so I think a lot of these lessons you learn on your own, but you have to have the opportunity. And so it's not necessarily about having a job, it's just becoming ever more difficult in, in the West for young people to, to work, but just being put in a position of responsibility, uh, having your own savings as early as possible, as early as they're cognitively able to handle that, give them that responsibility. Okay, thank you. Um, I wonder about uh, one more on this, on this one is, how do you plan to navigate how much you delegate your save time to them versus leaving them to their own struggles. Like, so, you know, you, 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 you have acquired a lot of means by the time they're older and you can remove some obstacles for them at what, how do you plan to think about, it? I know you can't deal with every concrete situation, but remove some of those obstacles that would just be too much. Like you wouldn't have them go into debt for their education, for example, maybe, or et cetera. Do you have any ideas of how you're going to deal with that? Um, I think I think what I've observed is that successful people, financially successful people, often have successful parents, and and what is it that transfers that gene to success? If you look at uh, Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, well, it's not even universal, but most successful entrepreneurs had uh, successful parents, and and so the question is: Is it because their parents funded their education and? And, the, and gave them seed money or is it because they transferred some ideas. And, and I think that um, what I can do for my kids is to uh, not necessarily pay their way in life, but create more opportunities. So just like with the finding uh, business to invest in, you want to place your kids in places where they're learning um, the ideas that set them up for success put them in circles where they can get those ideas, where they have friends that, um, you know, push them in the right direction. And I think that's where I will focus my funds. Okay. Well, so the, the value of going to Harvard is not Harvard education. It's being on other successful people. But that, that's what I'm thinking. I see. Okay. Well, thank you. For, thank you for sharing that, uh, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your own, uh, just a couple here. What are your own personal financial goals from here? So, so you achieved your first one. You said by the time this and everything, and now, where are you going? You know, I, yeah, some things I, I like specific numbers. I don't want to talk about. No, and other things I've not, Problem. yeah, thought Problem. as much as I should. Um, so, like in in general, I had several goals goals in life, several stages I wanted to reach. So, uh, stage one was where there was no financial emergency that would really uh, uh, put my whole life off, off track where I had an emergency fund that would cover every contingency. Um, and I achieved that. And then uh, number two was where my passive income exceeded my yearly spending. And I achieved that. 
so I can quit my job now and my uh, net worth will never go down. Um, so what's number three? Um, I'm not sure actually. I, I think I think at this point um, um, it's more about enjoying the pursuit than reaching a particular number. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really mean particular. I didn't mean specific numbers. I just meant yeah, like like you defined it, right? You're this. I don't yeah. have to worry about this, or I can remove this from my life, or I can add this. But that's all. But as far as advice, I would say that's the three things. One is uh, have an emergency fund. Not just you know to pay if your vehicle breaks down, but any kind of contingency that you're worried about to be able to pay for that. And then second goal is have your passive income exceed your yearly spending. Um, and then after that, you can make a decision when you want to retire. Yeah, thanks for repeating that. I was almost I, I'm gonna I have to revisit this whole thing and take notes now and make sure I get these things because you know to have those actual goals clearly in mind is you know you need to. Um, sure. Do you have any, uh, this is the final one. Do you have any personal goals outside of finance? Just anything? What are you looking forward to doing? What's, uh, what's, what's happening for David Vexler? Um, I want to, uh, at some point be able to travel basically full time. Mm-hmm. So I want to, just a few ideas I have. I want to ride my bike across the U S mm-hmm. and to do that, uh, can't do that right now with small kids. But I, I want to have the ability to not have my career get in the way of that and just be able to go travel across Asia for six months or fly across the U.S. to be in a situation where I don't have commitments preventing me from doing that. Okay. Um, that, that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to become a private pilot at some point. So that's a very expensive hobby. So I'm not, I, that's, that's my next level, right? I want to be able to to have that lifestyle. Um, that, that, that's my current uh, financial uh, level that I want to reach. Yeah, that's, hey, I'm, it's another one. I'm glad I, I'm glad I put it out there. I'm getting fun answers out of you. And look, if you ever come to Korea, you're certainly welcome to hear. My wife and I love entertaining. We'd love to have you up in here. Um, Thanks. Do, do you have any uh, final, anything final you could say that ties us together or that you want to clarify or highlight for anybody? Yeah, I think Google has a has a, a slogan that um, for you to improve anything, you have to start measuring it. And so, if you want to improve any aspect of your life, uh, one, make it a priority, and two, start tracking it, how well you're doing. Mm-hmm. So that applies to your health. Right, very well established that daily weigh-ins uh, um, are the main determinant of whether you're successful with weight loss. Same with with money. Uh, start tracking your wealth. And that, to me, that was the, the seed that created the motivation. Start focusing on this, uh, being, seeing, seeing what the impact of my choices was. So start with a goal, start quantitatively tracking your success towards that goal. And that's, that's the key to success. Right. And I guess this just occurred to me now, but uh, another one, this is a philosophy that you're laying out here and, and it, it is just one aspect of an integrated life. And I see that you're an example of living the kind of life I'm trying to put out here and, and encourage people to live. Right. Yeah. Thanks. It, yeah. So um, 
David, then uh, we'll call that a wrap on it. But uh, I do, before I ask you where you'd like to direct listeners and we sign off and stuff, let me say to listeners to please share this interview. Uh, personal finance is an intimidating subject for many, but it is no less paramount in affording us the time to pursue our best lives on this good earth. And David's laid out some practical philosophy here. So share with those you know and care about um, as well. Get in the comments, uh, ask questions, um, share your experiences. You can do that uh, in the comments section or you can go to the Mr. Brightside Facebook page, facebook.com slash matthewbolton.ca. And as well, uh, you may go and read the article that we've unpacked here today at davidvexler.com. It's titled 10 Personal Finance Principles I've Learned Over 40 Years. And we'll also link to it in the show notes. Um, David, where would you like to direct people who want to connect with you or learn about you and your work or anything you care about? Sure. Uh, Check out my website. It's just my name, Mm -hmm. davidvexler.com. I have a few few things that I'm pretty deep in. Uh, Personal finance, one of them. Uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, so if you're really into those things, um, I have some great resources. Oh, well, thank you very much. Great. Um, guys, well, David, thank you so much for your time. I know you made extra time for me uh, today. Uh, we had a hard time organizing schedules. I very much appreciate sure. that. And thank you, of course, for your, expert, your expertise and wisdom. Um, and I had a great time. So uh, all the best to you and your family in this new year and beyond. Uh, to listeners, Heed what the man says, right? Life is short and we've got one shot at it. Seek abundance and be generous and you won't have to feel guilty for spending on things that truly bring you joy. And get to bed early and I'll see you guys next time. That's right. Thanks, Matthew. Have a good one. Mr. Brightside, your time out to refresh, refuel, and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing. Life is good. It's up to you to choose the bright side.